0: Committed to fair debate and honest information, the reality check has arrived. RCR, Reality Check Radio. Next up, we have Diwa Deboer. Diwa is a conservative Christian commentator and writer. He's here to talk with us about the Family First Forum recently held in Auckland.
1: Good morning, Cam. It's great to uh, speak with you again. And yes, I was at the Family First uh, Forum on the family Uh, last Friday, which was held in uh, Manukau. Uh, We had about 800 uh, delegates uh, there. Uh, I saw Bob saying he had to turn a a few people away. It was that full. And uh, we had a a few um, uh, guests of honour as well. The ambassador from Hungary was there, and also a number of uh, former MPs and a few aspiring MPs as well. Which MPs were there? So uh, Alfred Nairo was one of the speakers. Um, You mentioned uh, Tim McIndoe as well, and Winston Peters. Oh, good uh, old Winston others as Well, I believe, but I didn't catch their names.
0: Yeah. So so the only current MP was Winston Peters. Uh, well, he's he, the, the only no, one. He's not an MP. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's been there so long, I th- I forget that sometimes. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm not
1: actually sure if there were any uh, actually current MPs in Parliament uh, at the moment. Uh, the ones that were mentioned were mostly former national MPs. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Bob McCoskey puts this together every year, doesn't he? That's right. So it's a yearly event. Um, the size was
1: uh, was a little bit bigger than last year. I know he always says he wants to fill the big the big stadium that, that can hold a few thousand people. Yeah, um, I think he's looking to crack that number. Um, the he used to have um, the leader of the National Party there when it was you know the uh, Prime Minister or leader of the opposition. So You'd have John Key there, or you'd have. Um, um, Bill English or Bill English that's right, but um the more recent uh, leaders have been too chicken to turn up, I think
0: well that's interesting because Christopher Luxon professes to be a Christian, but every time he's challenged about his Christianity he sort of minimizes it and um I think I wrote about that in uh, in one article on the BFd and I find it incredulous that someone who's a Christian would minimize their Christianity you know both you and I are Christians and We don't shirk from telling people that that we are. But um, Christopher Luxon seems ashamed of his Christianity. Yes, that's right. I saw from him uh, that he sort of stopped
1: going to church a few years ago, and it seems like he thinks he's got to give it up to be the leader of the National Party or to become prime minister, sort of you've got to sell your soul and become somebody else.
0: Yeah, that's the one thing I admire about Bob McCroskey is he just keeps on going and uh, seems to be, um, shameless about his Christianity, um which is a refreshing thing in today's today's uh, environment. But you know having yes, eight hundred plus people at a at a conference shows me that it it clearly is a draw card for people. I mean, there's many politicians who can't even fill fill that many people into a, into an auditorium. No, that's right. And it's been amazing to see uh,
1: Bob McCrospre keep this up over the many, many years that he's been doing it. Um, he's always risen above the naysayers and uh all of the attacks that they've had family first has obviously been deregistered uh, as a charity uh recently even though of course you have um uh, you know uh some some other organizations that don't do particularly charitable things that that get to remain registered what's different is of course that bob McCrosskey is speaking out against the the regime and against the new yes. cultural religion as he calls it so these organizations that uh you know, follow along with whatever the uh, the new culture or religion is. They get to stay registered. It doesn't matter what they do. But if you advocate for Christianity, you advocate for families, you advocate for tradition, then you are uh, no longer welcome uh, anymore. And, uh, you know, the uh, attacks keep on coming.
0: It's, it's the same as the perennial attacks against sanitarium for um, daring to give away all of their profits um, as required for being a charity. But everyone says they should pay tax and, you know, a former head of sanitarium told me once that if they had to pay tax, then they wouldn't have as much to give away uh, in in charitable giving, and it would and the money going into the global pool of the government's tax take um, may not actually do any good. So, well, that's exactly uh, it.
1: The government the government wants the money so they can spend it on their cultural projects, and these other people who are spending money uh, promoting uh, a Christian charity, they they. They're perceived as a threat to the uh, to the government.
0: Well, that's right, and and the government is a poor poor stu- steward of um, of our taxpayer funds. They spend it frivolously on ridiculous things. Anyway, let's let's get back to the conference. Um, I'm particularly interested about the ambassador of Hungary being there because, of course, Hungary was the anti woke country when we had all the Syrian refugees heading into Europe who basically put up dogs and fences and minefields and machine guns and said, not coming here.
1: Yeah absolutely uh, Hungary is a country that is leading the charge against wokeness and uh, Bob has spent quite a bit of time in Hungary recently um there are obviously uh, good conservative conferences happening uh you know conservatives from all over the world are actually looking to Hungary building closer connections with uh, what they are doing in Hungary because they're one of the few countries that's basically re- looking very actively to reverse the declining birth rates to reverse the decline of religion in their country trying to build uh, a coalition against the uh, the woke, the wokeness and the woke religion. And uh, they are obviously very much opposed to the globalist agendas uh, uh, on on mass immigration and so on. Uh, so this is a, it's a very good thing to see uh, here in New Zealand, that we are building these connections with conservatives all around the world.
0: Well, if you compare France in the current, uh, you know, riots and things that are going on in France and compare Hungary, who haven't had any of that sort of nonsense, Despite being you know on the border of you know with Russia and Ukraine and all of that um, mess that's around there, they seem to be doing all right, but meanwhile France has you know opened their doors up to the globalist agenda and now reaping the whirlwind of that
1: exactly, and so we sort of uh, have a a crossroads, as it were, here in New Zealand, or perhaps better described as a T-junction. You know, we're either going to drive off the edge of the cliff or uh, we (laughs) we can choose uh, the way, uh, you know, the way uh, uh, that Hungary is going or we'll end up in in places like uh, like France. Uh, And many of the talks were about these various different uh, cultural topics. Uh, So we uh, had um, uh, John Anderson, who's the uh, former Deputy Prime Minister of Australia, talk very much about how this is a uh a, a a war between these these two opposing ideas these these two opposing uh c- concepts of uh what what is the highest good in society what is the thing that we're worshipping are we following god or are we creating the religion of, of self and you know, are we seeing the revolution that is that is turning our western order completely upside down I mean, We we end up with an inverted order uh like uh, you know, you see in uh, with the riots in France, a complete deconstruction of society as everything that you love is is ripped apart, or or are we mending things together to uh, create a stronger society, uh, and and all the other speakers kind of fed into this theme as well. Um, Alfred Naro came in at the end with a long, uh, a, a really good point on how Christianity really is the point of unity between Maori and Pakeha in New Zealand, like the the. the our entire society is built on this common ground that we had uh, in our religion. And without that, without that being removed from government, being removed from parliament, then the common ground starts to come apart and, and, and slowly your, so- your social cohesion is, is, is ripped apart from all angles.
0: Well, I mean, I guess that's the thing, is that we're seeing uh, policies in New Zealand now that are highly divisive particularly in the last six years, um, that, but but divisions that have been growing. Uh, and we're seeing with the co-governance uh, narrative that's out there that everything that is Maori is wonderful and everything that is European is colonialist uh, rubbish and that has to be expunged from society. What they're actually saying is that the vast majority of people in New Zealand uh, and their culture and their background is to be ignored for a, a very small minority in New Zealand, uh, which of all of those people, they've also got European heritage as well, but we have to ignore that because their Maori DNA supersedes everything else. And as a result, we now have to have this co-governance. We even had you know, Willie Jackson saying that Maori are special, they've got special rights, and they've got more rights than any other person in New Zealand. Um So coming back to Alfred Naro's point, where if we've got a unifying feature, which is God in our lives um, and Christianity, then uh, we will start to have a more cohesive um, social construct rather than a divisive social construct.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I saw the story the other day of um, Opera in New Zealand, one of the um, uh, well-known singers there who uh, he spoke out in private emails that they were inventing this fake uh, post Stone Age rubbish that they were replacing uh, Western uh, art with, right? And and the key thing here is, well they they're inventing something new that that didn't exist, and they're sort of sticking sticking it on to you know calling it calling it Maori, but it really is just stuff that they've made up today. There's nothing really traditional or ancient about it. They're trying to apply the wokeness. Uh, to this, to you know, to create their new culture, and it's not going to work. It, it will completely divide people and rip them apart. They can't build some kind of new, new uh, pagan culture uh, that that didn't even exist before. When our real foundation is Christianity.
0: Well, the the um interesting thing that we're seeing in New Zealand is the arguments, particularly around colonialism, etc. We're we're a couple of years behind the UK, uh, United States, uh, Canada with these sorts of arguments. And we see those of us who who have kept up with with the play in all of these countries around the world where there's all this upheaval are seeing exactly the same arguments being trotted out by by the Willie Jacksons and Mm -hmm. the Wauri Wauri, Tānui, just unmitigated racists that are getting away with things that no European could ever say. Um, But because they're Maori, they feel entitled and they are entitled to say what they want. And, and they're, they're the ones actually creating division.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely the case, yeah. And one of the other speakers, um, John Steenhoff from Australia, uh, he, he spoke about uh, the human rights law lines that they have in Australia, and this is sort of on a, on a similar tangent here, with, where they had uh, people who were discriminated against or had, had a lot of hostility that they faced for their Christianity And effectively, they were able to argue across 70 different cases, some of which he showcased to us, that they uh, were able to win those cases to argue that, uh, uh, you know, people still had their rights that could be protected, that people still had the right to be treated equally under the law, even though a lot of that is under attack. And it's the same thing here in in New Zealand. uh, And and, uh, a similar uh, law alliance is being formed at the moment. Um, I won't uh, mention who it's by, but it's a, a last name that most people will recognize, a famous family of lawyers mm. uh, in New Zealand. Uh, and when they're ready, I think they'll announce uh, what they're doing. And I, I suspect they'll be on RCR as well to talk about it. The, so, so, so there really is a case where, where the law, uh, people still have a right to be treated equally under the law, people can still appeal to the human rights laws that we have. Uh, to be treated equally and to be uh, treated equitably. And uh, we need to make better use of that here in New Zealand, because otherwise you will have cases where people will simply be discriminated against for their religion or for their race, and they won't know what to do about it. They'll just be stuck there by themselves. So without uh, uh, some of these organizations uh, to, to fight this on the legal uh, grounds, um, you know, we'd be defenseless. So they've got a good lead on us in Australia and we're hoping to have that repeated here in New Zealand so we have more organizations uh working side by side with family first and 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 other conservative socially conservative groups uh, to be able to cover all of these different angles
0: would would one of those goals and objectives of of that be to codify or cement in place the primacy of the Bill of Rights in New Zealand because we saw a lot of cases during the pandemic. Uh, where the Bill of Rights were just thrown aside. Mm-hmm. Um, and people were discriminated against, people lost their jobs. Uh, they then went you know through the courts process, used the courts to try and overturn this using the human rights and the Bill of Rights Act mm-hmm. and and found almost you know entirely that that every case failed because the judges just ignored the Bill of Rights and said yes, but. Yeah, yes, um, but yeah. Um, yeah, yes, yes, but and, and but then we have a case on Tuesday that that's you know just come out this week, where a customs officer uh, actually did the reverse of the Bill of Rights and said, "Well, you sacked me, but you should have taken into account my Maori uh, background and and heritage and and everything that's associated with that before you sacked me." And he won the case. I mean, all power to him for winning the case for being <laughs> sacked for not taking the vaccine. But his yeah. reason for not taking the vaccine was it was against his Maori upbringing and heritage. And um, I mean, I'm pleased for him that he won the case, but it's kind of like that takes more precedence than the actual Bill of Rights. And, and it seems to me that Jeffrey Palmer made a fatal mistake when he brought in the Bill of Rights Act by not making that the prim- primary piece of legislation in New Zealand law that supersedes everything else. And we may not have actually seen a whole lot of the things that occurred had that act been put into that place in our legislative um, Mm -hmm. uh, regime. So yeah,
1: absolutely. Something that I, I support. It wasn't really something that was discussed at the at the conference there, and it wasn't uh, – I don't know if this is going to be a, a priority for this uh, law alliance that's that being formed. It's something you would have to ask them when they're ready to talk about it. But I do hope that they would use cases like they'd be willing to use uh, – the way that tikanga is being integrated into, into common law, sort of as, as a leverage to the advantage of whatever cases they bring. And I think the key thing with with the law is, is that winning is very important. And so if, if um, certain things in society are currently taking precedence over others, then you should be willing to leverage those to, to win those cases. So I think it's, it'll be interesting to see how it develops. Um, but the political side of, of things is, of course, a different story and, and asking, you know, which political parties are willing to uh, you know, properly entrench the Bill of Rights and are properly willing to repeal Section um, 5, I believe, is the, is the key one um, that, that allows Parliament to override the Bill of Rights. So that's something that, uh, yeah, that I that mean, it's just politically.
0: it's just ridiculous. And especially when you see the Human Rights Commission was utterly silent on absolutely everything that went on. And at the same time, they were promoting, you know, um, recognising Palestine and a whole of other things that are extra- external to New Zealand and of no import when we we basically saw the trampling of our rights mm-hmm. um, for three years plus. And especially if you're a firearms owner, we've seen our rights trampled as well. But um, I'd hope that that is something that they would look at. Yeah, the, the capture of these
1: institutions and the... Um... Sort of their service to the new uh, the, the new cultural religion was was really a key part of of basically all of the talks at at the conference, and I think it runs across basically every single social issue that we talked about that we, that we talk about, whether it's uh, abortion or transgenderism or uh, uh, race racial issues, uh, cannabis, weightlifting, whatever, you know, all of these subjects that came up. Um, a, a thing that really runs through that is how uh, uh, the uh, money and propaganda is all being aligned in such a way to service uh, uh, the, the cultural ends of the woke religion. And it happens in every single uh, area of society that we, you know, that we have to deal with.
0: Is it really a cultural religion or is it more a, a self-religion? It's all, all of those things that you mentioned are all about, um, I can do what I want. Um, mm-hmm. I can uh, pick and choose who I am, what I am. And it's all about me, 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 and everybody else can go hang. And it seems to me that all of these so-called issues, these communities that are being established aren't communities at all. There are a whole bunch of individuals that have an agenda. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and they're pushing that agenda, and their agenda is uh, basically for self-pleasure. Yeah, so the – the um the god of this 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 religion was the, the, the woke religion
1: is is self uh, and that's something that um, john anderson the former deputy prime minister of australia uh leaned on quite heavily to say it's a instead of having a democracy we have an emocracy uh which uh, it means a, a sort of a radical self autonomy that 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 is at the center of this uh this you know this this particular uh, cultural malaise that we are suffering from the Elevation of self above all else, and like you said, we have these fake communities that are not real communities. Right? Real communities are people who live together, family who, who share a common bond. But these fake communities, like the LGBT community and so on, they're not real there, communities. There, they're just a bunch no of individuals. individuals who are out to please themselves, and they're not serving a greater community. They're only serving their, the the god of self.
0: It should almost be called cultural narcissism. Really, that's you better <laughs> forget cultural Marxism. We're going with cultural yeah, narcissism. Yeah. It's all about the self it's all about me and what I can you know achieve for myself and everybody else. everybody else has to fit around me you mm-hmm. know now I'm okay with that from my perspective but, but there's there's not a lot of people that might want to agree with me on that
1: yeah so um, there's the kind of the in, in when we talk about freedom as well there's there's an inherent cost that can be associated with certain freedoms uh, so uh, one of the talks from um, uh, Kevin Sabet from Australia, from America, he talked about cannabis, and I thought, you know, well, this is not particularly an interesting topic for me. But the way that he talked about it, the way that uh, money and propaganda are used, uh, you know, by many of these global corporations, uh, and and who pays the price? So he was talking about uh, uh, Colorado, for instance, where all of these. Uh, affluent, well-off to do white liberals are all very much in favor of cannabis legalization. But then when it comes down to where the cannabis stores get to go, they vetoed them all in their own communities. (laughs) They all end up in the poor black communities who, who then get to smoke weed all day, right? So the people who are saying, oh yeah, I'm fine with people doing whatever they want. They don't have to live with the consequences of people doing whatever they want. They get, yeah, to build their own, they get to build their own isolated, you know, insulated, real communities that they get to live inside and protect. And then they can say everyone else outside, you know, they can suffer the consequences of, of, of you know, this, you know, of, of them, of, of people worshipping themselves and having nothing higher than just thinking that they're going to make themselves happy.
0: Yeah, I mean, Colorado is interesting because you're right. It was pushed by liberal elites um, who really didn't want to go and buy cannabis from tinny houses. And then once it all came in, you're exactly right. They said, oh no, we don't want those in our name. No, not here. You know, classic NIMBY behavior. And then they ended up going to a more upmarket, uh, albeit similar style of cannabis place to purchase their cannabis from in the neighborhoods that they didn't want to go to in the first place. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> exactly. So we obviously dodged that that bullet in New Zealand a little bit last time. I don't think we fully understood the implications. Um, but listening to his story from uh, Colorado and and some other states in America, you really think like, yeah, wow, this is uh, this is is a story of people making uh, people making a lot of money from the um uh, you know the woes of 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 other people. So something like te- only ten percent or twenty percent of 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 those of those uh, users of cannabis and so on, well, they're basically paying 80, 90 percent of the revenues for these big companies. So, yeah, yeah, so,
0: yeah, it's always uh, the way. And, and most it's of the Pareto
1: principle. Survived these deprived communities, where they have no money and they're poor, because they're spending all of it on, uh, on you know whether it's uh, drugs or a booze or whatever they're spending their money on, and and they're lining the pockets of these uh, wealthy liberal elites. There,
0: there is an argument though that prohibition doesn't work, and so there has to be a happy medium that you can. Yeah control yeah, a little restrict. bit about that as well and it's hard to know
1: where that is you know so so there's there's you want don't want people just to go to jail for a smoking a joint or whatever or have, you know something like that but you at the same time you don't want to be wiping out poor communities uh uh you know because they they get to sell they get to pay the price of freedom as it were
0: was there any discussion about Portugal's um yes yeah, so Portugal he mentioned
1: Portugal very briefly with sort of mixed results it would be interesting to look into that further um Big, but um, yeah, they had, I think, special courts. Uh, he, he highlighted they had special cases where you could go if you were caught with drugs that uh, they would expunge your records if you um, went through certain rehabilitation programs and so on. Yeah,
0: what the hell? Criminal system. Um, yeah, what they and did. He said the results
1: were mixed, and he didn't really elaborate on that. So it was a question that didn't get answered in the Q&A, unfortunately, and it would be interesting to know.
0: Yeah, that's a shame because Portugal totally decriminalized all drugs. including heroin and cocaine and everything. He he, he said
1: they didn't actually decriminalize those drugs, um, but they some kind of hybrid system that they use. Yeah,
0: what it it meant is that if you were uh, a user of those drugs, they changed it from treating you as a criminal, like they do in New Zealand and the United States and many countries around, we, we treat the end user as a criminal. Mm -hmm. rather than the dealer is the criminal. The dealers are still criminals.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: Right. So in Portugal, the dealers are still criminals, but what they've opened up in Portugal is a pathway that addresses addiction as a mental health issue and a medical issue rather than a criminal issue. Mm -hmm. Putting people in jail doesn't solve their addiction. They can still get drugs in jail. They just can't. So so it doesn't actually exactly yeah yeah it's punishing them for being addicted to something and it and Portugal's is trying to look at it as a mental health issue and and applying money and funding into that rather than locking people up in prison. and it, it will be interesting to see what the long-term effects of that change of policy are and um exactly
1: it is, it is really a case of where we are is, is looking at what's happening in in places that are trying different things and really seeing, are they improving the situation there? And is that, it before we make any drastic changes here in New Zealand, which I think is probably for the better.
0: Well, That's the problem we've got in New Zealand, isn't it? That we tend to lurch from one grand idea to the next. And it doesn't matter whether it's social policy um, around, you know, whatever gay marriage or Mm -hmm. or whatever Uh, it, it could even be, you know, electricity restructuring. You know, we've been touted so many times, these grand schemes that's going to make everything better. And then 20 years later, nothing's better. The, the architects of those grand schemes have retired and gone on to, on the basis of their grand schemes to get these high-paid jobs. And this is the thing that annoys me about politicians all the time. They, they do all of these things and they tinker and they mess around and it doesn't make things any better for the people that actually need the help. Uh, and they ignore organizations like Family First that are actually trying to make things better. And uh, I think we need to, to concentrate more on some of the solutions that are around that. Now, I don't agree with everything that Bob McCroskey says. I mean, I once had a discussion with, with him prior to the gay marriage um, thing. He asked where I thought Family First should go with that. And I just simply said to him, well, gay people have families too. Surely you could bring them into your community by by endorsing marriage. I mean, you say marriage is is important. That's one of the, the guiding things of family first. He said, oh, "I can't go there. I can't. he well, just can't take family first in that direction." I said, "Well, that's a shame, because it's an opportunity to actually expand what a family is and to bring people into what that family is. And if you've got people who are committing to these things in reality and raising children and marriage and all of those things that go with it. it. That applies just as much to gay people as others. But, mm.
1: but it's, um, a, it's a case Bob, Bob and
0: I disagreed on that. We,
1: we will disagree on that as well. I think it's a, it's really a case where we can see so, so, so society is, is being ripped apart. At, 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 at The little threads are being unpicked. And so we're not really expanding the definition of family. We're really seeing the family ripped apart yeah um, and and with all of these different issues we're seeing that they're turning into massive family uh, anti-family issues uh, like trans you know transgenderism especially where uh these kids are being uh taken many of them are are being sterilized they're suffering they're being butchered for their whole lives and, and this is just the march that goes on the, the never-ending social revolution so one of the interviews that bob played was with chloe cole who was a 18 year old detransitioner, and she's they started her on, on puberty blocks when she was 13 or something and her parents you know they were threatened basically you know if they didn't go along with this then they were going to take you know they're going to take her away so she you know went through this process to become a boy uh and uh had had uh, a mastectomy you know had her breasts cut off and then when she was 18 years old she realized the whole thing was a lie she said something very very profound uh she said she realized that longing is not the same as being uh, mm. and uh that was uh but but by the time that that she realized this, her life had been just you know, irreparably damaged. All the adults in her life had lied to her for, for five or six years. Uh, and, and all of these issues uh, were, just getting, were just getting worse. And, and it, instead, she just needed someone to tell her the truth. And that was her encouragement to, to everyone, to just you know, tell people the truth, be honest with
0: them. See, I've always, I've always you know, with my own kids, um, and, and of course you went to school with my son, as well. We brought our kids yes. up to, to, to tell the truth mm-hmm. and it's difficult, but we also taught them that it's better to tell the truth. Uh, even though sometimes that truth is that you've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. We always made it that the consequences of telling the truth were less than the consequences of lying and being found out. Absolutely, And, and, I, and I don't think very many parents these days do that. It, they basically say whatever the, you do whatever the kid wants. I mean, yeah, we're really
1: in a situation now in New Zealand where people are rewarded for lying. And that's the basically the default status is that is that kids should be rewarded for lying. And if uh, especially around gender issues, they can lie about whether they're a boy or a girl. And then everyone has to go along with it. And if you don't, then you get fired. So you you would literally just be fired for telling the truth.
0: Well, what's ridiculous? If you had a nine year old who said you, came up to you and said, Dad, um, Look, I really want to get drunk tonight. So can we get out a bottle of scotch and um, can we get started? You'd give them a clip around the ear and send them to their room and tell them, "Don't be stupid." You know, if they said to us, uh, "You know, I want to go out and take drugs um, in the back streets of Auckland," Uh, can you um, make that happen to me? You'd say the same thing. You're grounded. That's it. Go to your room. You're being stupid. Mm -hmm. But we've got these kids who are saying, "Oh, Dad, I think I'm a boy," when they're a girl, and the parents are saying. Oh, of course you are here, take these drugs, do this, do that. It, it's, it's absurd. It's utterly absurd that we are not parenting properly. And it's utterly absurd that our education system is promulgating and promoting this mm-hmm. behavior that children should, children, kids just need to be kids. You know? And unfortunately, and I know kids should, <laughs> should just be
1: allowed to be kids. Yeah. But unfortunately, more and more parents are going along with this because they've been culturally trained, you know, through this religion of self that 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 what makes people happy is the most important thing. And so their kids, even if their kids are like, "Oh, let's," you know, "Hey, I want to do drugs, I want to get drunk, or whatever," their parents would be like, "Oh, yeah, let's go and do that in a safe way." Or you know, the, these types of parents who who go along with this, they'd be trained, being trained to go along with with every single absurd thing instead of being taught discipline, uh, being taught uh, uh, respect for uh, your future. Uh, Being taught respect for the for for the community, the people that you live with, uh, instead of just being
0: told that they are the most important thing in the world, which leads to even more absurd things, like the 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 likes of Gavin Hubbard in the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, you know, competing as a woman when quite demonstrably he's he's not a woman.
1: Yeah, and one of the speakers was one of the women who lost out to Gavin Hubbard at the Commonwealth Games, uh, and she uh, it was just a very sad story to hear that. Uh, you know, she spoke out. She was actually told um, during uh, the games that if she spoke out, she would be physically removed from the village. Um, So she had to wait until the last day, you know, until the competition was over to even speak out against it. Uh, Her trainer spoke out against it too. Nobody else would back them up and neither of them will work, you know, will ever be allowed to to be involved again simply because they spoke the truth. And and even the numbers that she showed were, were, were astonishing. The women's world records in every single Olympic sport have been beaten by by 14, 15-year-old boys.
0: Yeah. Every single it, athletic. It, it, every, it's it's just every, a crying shame. You know, we, yeah. we had we had, you know, the women's rights movement that made great advances for society. And then along comes the patriarchy and says, Yo, You think you're women? This bloke's a woman, actually. And the patriarchy <laughs> stomped all over all of yeah. the advances. That uh, that have been made by the women's liberation movement yeah, over yeah, the she, years.
1: She pointed out, uh, in some sense, how short-lived women's sports was because they had to wait for a long time to be able to compete, and so women's sports actually lasted less than a hundred years, maybe yeah. ninety years or something. All up, um, that women were actually allowed to compete in a women's category by themselves. Um, uh, and yeah, what a what a strange world, what a but strange again,
0: reversal. But but again, it's this narcissism that that celebration of the self, where mm. you've got an average. An average and often decidedly average uh, sportsman or boy mm-hmm. who can't, isn't good enough to compete with the best. And so they think, oh, no, you know, this is all about me winning. So I'm going to become a girl and I'm yep. going to use all of my male advantages that I've got through my DNA and my hormones that were given to me uh, at birth. And use that to subjugate women it, it's appalling but it what i can't understand Narcissism. is why that yeah, yeah but what i can't understand is why more women don't make a stand where they instead of getting on that podium and taking the silver medal just don't go so yeah, well, she was, she was asked that question why she, she was asked that why why don't more women speak up against this
1: she pointed out that one of the issues i have is a lot of them have contracts and so they have contracts where they would get fined if they didn't, didn't perform, didn't continue on. So there would actually be a massive financial hit. And many, many of them would have to take to, to, to actually walk away from it. She was able to do it because she was at the the top of her career. She was at the end. Basically there was one more record she wanted to break. Uh, It was a a weightlifting record. And uh, Deborah said she was training for it. And then a trans trans woman or whatever, a man broke that official woman's record by 20 kgs. Yeah. And she could never, she said, well, I could never lift. I could never go beyond that. I'd be lucky to get a couple of kgs over that record. Could never yeah. beat it by 20. It's gone now. No woman could ever break that record. No real woman could ever break that record again. Um, well, we saw that power really, That's unfortunate for, obviously, at some point, more and more women will have to be speaking up because they can't win anything anymore. You
0: have to speak up. This is yeah. why principles, personal principles, are very, very important. You know, it. It. we saw this during the pandemic where people said, oh, no, I... I had to get vaccinated because, because of I had a job or I had a yeah. career. And I, was, and I was looking at all the other people who said no. They said no to that. I'm not going to do that. And they had principles And, yes, it cost them their jobs and their homes, but those people are to be admired rather Absolutely. than those who went along to get along. And that's the problem I think we've got in society today is that there's so many people who go along to get along that we end up letting small groups of minorities dominate because we don't want to upset them because it's not inclusive. You know? Exactly. Uh, it, it, it's, it's just bollocks. I mean, it really is. Um, but there's not enough people who say, no, mm-hmm. no I'm not going to stand on that podium and get a silver medal. Cause I actually won. That was a man that, that beat me. And you know, you see this now starting where you've got principled men that are actually doing, this, in, yeah. like the Canadian powerlifter who entered the women's competition to beat the trans woman who had already broken the records. And he just, he just came out and smashed that guy's records. And then that guy was all upset going, oh, this was my world record as a woman powerlifter. No, you're a man. Go away. Be, you're stupid. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And nobody is- says it. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess to, to wrap it
1: up a little bit, and a good thing like a conference, like a family first, is to get other people who are willing to be brave, who are willing to, mm. willing to stand up, and to 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 um, strengthen each other. You know, when when good men stand up, the spines of others are stiffened. Was a, a, a line that Bob used um, yep. quite a few times, and that's really what it's about. You know, are you willing to stand alone? Um, and I think if you're willing to stand alone, you'll find that you're not actually standing alone. there are other people who will stand with you and there are other people who will be brave. there are other people who will be courageous and we need uh, uh, organizations like Family first. we need events like the Forum on the family for people to uh, to find out that they aren't actually alone uh, that's right.
0: I and mean, when that, that's the key thing here with reality check radio is that you aren't alone. if you you know this is what I found during the lockdowns when, we were having illegal lunches and all of the illegal cheap services and <laughs> yep, stuff like exactly. that, is there were people out there that were like us. And yes. we've learned during that time of oppression, because that's what it was. It was oppression. We've learned to be resilient. We've learned to stand on our own two feet. We've learned to do without the state telling us what to do. And the more people there are that are like us who are prepared to say, this is who I am. And if you don't like that, well, you can not listen, but I'm, you're not going to stop me talking. And, uh, you know, I saw something on on Facebook the other day saying, you know, you, you might not agree with me. You might not, you might want to shut my, shut this down. You might want to do all of these things, but what you can't do, right? What you can't do is stop me. Mm-hmm. And and more people who, who say that the stronger we'll be by doing this. And, and you know, I don't agree with Bob McCroskey on many, many, many things. But he's one of those strong people who says, I don't care. I'm doing this anyway, and you're not going to stop me. And those are people who should be admired, even if you disagree with them, because they've got principles and principles are few and far between, particularly amongst politicians these days. And and through times like this, you know, through adversity, you can
1: see who you can trust, who who you can rely on. You see who's standing with you, and all of these things are very, very valuable.
0: Yeah. Mates are mates. You know, and that's the thing we learned. We I had a, a very, you know, closed group. Uh wasn't it wasn't that large, but it was about 20 people. But those are people I can rely on. I've learned that I can rely on them and everybody else I can't rely on. And uh oh, you know You know, whatever comes next, those they'll still be there for you. Exactly. They you know, people said to me, uh you know, when Jamie Lee Ross was having all of his things, why are you friends with him? I, I can't change that. A friend's a friend. Just because they're having bad times doesn't mean I'm not a friend anymore or because they've got bad publicity. And it comes down to principles. It comes to, to standing by your mates. It comes down to standing by society. And, uh, you know, we need to have more conferences like this. I mean, maybe Bob should do two a year and, and really grow up from there, make them real events. You know. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, um,
1: my wife was just saying to me, you know, if only you're sort of a, a free event, basically, that was more like a, a public meeting for people to hear the things that he's saying because they're really good. And a lot of it is educational. People simply don't know. Uh, yeah, exactly. People don't know what's going on, and you have to keep
0: repeating it over and over and over again. Well, we can't rely on the mainstream media to give us information because they're, they're all captured by the cult- cultural narcissism themselves, you know, and right. so they're not, they're not actually representing people like you and me. Uh, in their media and, and, and their outlook. And so I think, as I said, it's very important that people like Bob McCroskey keep doing what they're doing. Same same reason for Greenpeace people. I, mean, I don't agree with anything that they say, but it's very important that they keep doing those things because you know, that's what makes the world goes around, all these different points of view, and then we can work it out for ourselves.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A free, free uh, flow of information, people being able to debate things and make up their minds, uh, is, is, is in many ways the, the foundations of a free society. Uh, as long as you have these common things that keep you together, are the common threads that keep society together, uh, everything else uh, uh, can be discussed. And as soon as you lose those common threads, well, then there's nothing, there's nothing that can be discussed. There's nothing that can be debated anymore.
0: Yeah, and you've got social arbiters um, deciding what can be spoken about and what can't be. Well, it sounds like that was a, a very interesting conference perhaps i should have gone to it maybe i'll go to the next one I would be great to see you there next year Yeah, maybe i'll go along and report on it but but then again i've got you to do that yeah well <laughs> that's it so i wrote a review for uh, the bfd
1: uh, subscribers to the bfd can read my review uh there and of course um i'm you know i feel like at this point i'm going to become rcr's correspondent for uh christian events because this is the second time that i've been on in two weeks speaking about a different christian event so we'll see how that goes um, oh, that's uh, right. Well, that's all being on the program
0: no problems, and thank you very much for coming on and uh, sharing your thoughts of the uh, of the Family First Forum. Thanks a lot, Dewa. Thank you. Committed to fair debate and honest information, the Reality Check has arrived. RCR Reality Check Radio.